Hi guys, welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Daily. It is Sunday, it's still the World Cup and I'm still Chris Darwin and you've still got different music and a different host. Adam will be back with you tomorrow because there hasn't been an overwhelming clamour for me to continue during the week. Um, I'm joined today by our Belgian football uh, expert, Brandon Liss. Hi, Brandon. Hello. And Lucas Mondeo, our betting, uh, our head of betting and affiliates and our betting expert. Hey, Lucas. Hello. Now, obviously, with Lucas being on the podcast today, of course, we're going to be talking about quite a lot of betting and things related to the betting markets. So it's important for us to point out that if you are thinking of doing anything with any information that you hear in this podcast, please be gamble aware. This is only information, opinion, etc. And we're not categorically say go and follow anything that we've said. This is just us looking at what we know and what we can what we're potentially pointing out. Do not bet anything that you do not feel you can afford to lose and all that good stuff. But with that in mind, then, Brandon, what we're going to be looking at today is we'd like to go back over some of yesterday's games and then we're going to look ahead to some of uh, some of tomorrow's uh, Argentina, Mexico, France, Denmark. And we were discussing whether anything interesting might actually happen in that Belgium game. And then it did. So we should definitely touch on that one as well. But let's uh, let's go back to Argentina, Mexico. First of all, Brandon, it wasn't the most entertaining game, but tactically, was it more interesting than the uh, the the layman might have noticed? Yeah, it's yeah for sure. Like if you're a casual fan watching that game, it wasn't the most entertaining until Messi scored in the sixty uh, fourth minute. But tactically, I think what Tata Martino was looking to do was just sit back, not really sit back necessarily, but sw- he switched formations from a four three three against Poland to a five back against Argentina. And he still pressed high, but he was looking, I think, to just negate space in midfield for Argentina to, because Argentina under Scaloni liked to hold, hold the ball, play intricate passes and just build their way up. And Mexico looked to stop that. So, and as a result, they did for the majority of the game. But, um, that moment of magic from Messi, great, great shot from outside the box. Ochoa. It was un- essentially unsavable for him, right nestled right in the corner, and then Enzo Fernandez with the with the second in the eighty seventh minute with another good goal, but Argentina still did not look that great. Yes, they held more possession, but only five shots and two on target, which were both goals. So fair play, clinical in front of goal. But um, in regards to how they looked, not that good. Mexico once again did not look good as well. Once they drew no nil against Poland in the first game, and that was also they didn't look great attacking. I think their XG from this game was like zero point zero nine, like it was not good at all. Mm. And that's just been Mexico in general attack like going forward in Concacaf qualifying. Yes, they finished second behind Canada, but they only had like seven. I think it was seventeen goals in sixteen games. So it is also sort of an aging squad. Um, but there are, there are some good, there is some good young talent coming through from Mexico, uh, when you look at that roster, but Martino has, has stuck with the old heads recently. Like they started Andres Guardado yesterday, Hector Herrera started, uh, Hector Moreno. It's so definitely looking when you look at that game tactically, there was, there was some stuff to look at, but from a casual fan perspective, I can understand why they wouldn't be as intrigued but 
this result gives Argentina now hope once again of qualifying out of the group. They played Poland on match day three. So with the way the table looks, um, if Saudi, they need, essentially they might need to win because Saudi Arabia play Mexico with the way Mexico's looking and Saudi Arabia, even though they lost two 0 to Poland, once again, looked really good. Yeah. So it, it's going to be, I think Poland, Argentina or Saudi Arabia, any of those three could still get out of this group. But I don't think, I think it's going to be tough now for Mexico. They're not like, they're not officially eliminated, but I think it'll be tough for them. Well, I mean, in fairness, at least that means Mexico will end their run of getting knocked out in the round of 16 every single time they go to a World That is true. By not actually qualifying for it. But I mean, do you think Mexico then, we talked a little bit yesterday when Lee was on about how the USA might have uh, set up a little bit of of a template of how to play against England, for example, after Iran got it so disastrously wrong in, in the first game. Do you think Mexico have showed us a little bit there where you can cause pain against against Argentina by sort of sitting in and, and playing the, the way they did? And if they had a little bit more about them in the attacking phase, then that or keeping it tight might have then led to creating chances off the back of that as well. A better team than Mexico playing like that against Argentina must feel confident of being able to, to beat them, surely. Yeah, I do think so. Because like I said, Argentina, the way they want to play is they want to hold possession and they want to build, more so build methodically, play passes into midfield, play it all around. And with Mexico crowding the midfield areas, Argentina really couldn't do that. They always had, for most of, for the most part of that game, they had numerical superiority in the midfield when the ball was played there. And I, like you said, if it was a team like France or a team like Spain or someone else, they could have punished Argentina. But because of the attacking woes that Mexico have faced, um, that's essentially how that ended up. But yes, I do think that that is the game plan against Argentina. You kind of have to crowd the midfield and just not give them time on the ball. You have to just pressure them and force them into passing quick and that will force them into errors or you could do what Saudi Arabia did and just play a high line and play a tremendously good high line and just catch them offside the entire game. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think the way that the Saudi game finished, they were obviously clinging on by the end of it. I know obviously it was a fantastic result for them, but there was a, and they they certainly weren't in control of the, uh, the final phase of that game. I, I think, I think we can all, we can all agree. No. But Lucas then, so um, Argentina obviously came into this World Cup with many people, including some people on this uh, on this podcast and myself, not even on the podcast, thinking, yeah, this could be Argentina's uh, Argentina's time and the messy narrative obviously adds a bit of extra emotion into that and all those things. I'm guessing that coming into the World Cup, they were fairly short odds to uh, to win the tournament. Then how is it looking in the betting market for them now? Well, they have fluctuated a lot, naturally, considering the big fiasco in the first round. Now they have a little bit lower odds than they were having. Recently, yesterday, the, the fourth team most likely to win the cup in the eyes of the market was England. Today, it is Argentina with almost equal odds in comparison with England. However, if you consider just the game yesterday, there was some interesting things in the market because the market was anticipating Argentina really hungry for goals in this game and there was a big handicap that was uh, circulating in the markets but they failed to score very early so 
a lot of people actually made a profit betting on Mexico and cashing out before the first goal of Argentina. Mm. So okay. this is one of the interesting things about the betting markets, even though they were losers, Mexico, they was they still brought some profits to some people. Okay. No, that that, that is definitely that is definitely uh, an, an interesting side of it. And that takes us on then really to another team or another big nation, it's fair to say, coming into it as the holders, but coming into it in pretty poor form, but now have won two on the two on the bounce. So what did you take from the France versus Denmark game, uh, Brandon? Well, the World Cup curse is broken officially now. France being the first team to qualify out of the knockouts after the yeah. last two did not, the holders. So that curse is broken. And it looked a bit shaky too, you would say, in the Australia game when they went one nil down. Everyone's like, oh, it's it's still a thing, the World Cup mm. curse. But um, no, I think France played really well against Denmark. They didn't hold the possession. Denmark were definitely the team that were on the ball more. They completed more passes, held more possession. But that front four for France is arguably one of the best in the World Cup when you look at it from an attacking perspective. When you have Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele, and Giroud, when they're all on form, they are spectacular. When and that's a, and that's a French front four. That's a French, a French front four that doesn't have the current Ballon d'Or winner in it because he because obviously he picked up an injury before the tournament began. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's that's a bit of depth they've got there too. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I would say Griezmann playing as that 10, he has been one of the best players in the tournament so far, both games for France. He has been very good. He's created chances. He's dropped deep. He's linked play together. He's made runs in behind. He has done so much. But of course, the star for France was Mbappe. Two goals, um, both really well taken. And he's Mbappe's still showing why he is one of, if not right now, the best player in the world. But I mean, you got to look at Neymar and Messi as well, but that front three for PSG is doing really well. So um, I would say that Denmark did play well, but the problem with them is like converting chances. They did get the one goal from Andreas Christensen, but they did play smart in regards to trying to attack wide because France were playing where they were just blocking the central areas, forcing the play out wide. And Denmark did do well to play out into those wide channels and um, and send crosses into the box. But it was 60, yeah, 16 crosses for Denmark. They did do what they were, what France wanted them to do, which was play it wide, and they executed it well. But I would say Theo Hernandez as well for France played really well. Um, since he came in for his brother in the first game, uh, injured uh, when he went off injured, Theo has been spectacular in that French back line, which I would say as well could be their weakness going forward in this tournament. Mm. When, when you look at the names on the back line, you wouldn't think so when you have Hernandez, Upamecano, Varane, Koundé. But the French back line is the one question mark for me when it comes to going forward in this tournament. Because when you look at playing Australia, playing Denmark, no offense to both of those nations, but Going into the knockout stages, if they play a team like Germany, a team like Spain, someone along those lines, they the, those chances could be uh, – those teams will probably be more clinical in front of goal at times, and the French defense could be left open. But when you look at everything now, like how it's going in this tournament, France could arguably, along with Brazil, be 
one of the favorites to win this tournament. That would be definitely something if France were to win the World Cup back to back. I mean, I think we have to look at it as, and, and look at them now as being right up there at the top of the tree for winning the tournament. They've they've come into the tournament in poor form, but then mm-hmm. the current champions have won two games in a row and are improving each game. And they, I mean, Denmark have beaten them twice recently and France have then seen them off in, in that game there. So yeah. it's uh, the, the, the defensive or the supposed defensive frailties. It's also worth remembering that in 2018, France conceded more goals, I think, than, than any other World Cup champion in the modern format um, so far. So they, they do very much believe, mm-hmm. uh, why wouldn't they with that attacking lineup? Yeah. They, they do believe that they'll score one more than the opposition so but then um then lucas again same question how how have the markets now reacted to that because france must have been an interesting punt early on because of their form coming into the coming into the tournament how's it looking for them now in the markets well actually there's something that i can't really explain right now which is the fact that france has odds almost like they had in the beginning of the tournament they had odds in the house of seven to one it's now 6.5 to 1, while Brazil has dropped from 5 to 3.5. Wow. Which means you, you can still buy France almost like you could in the beginning of the tournament. And sometimes you just can't explain those things. You you should grab it while you can. <laughs> but then was that, were, were they in and around sort of 7 going in? Because a, a balance of, look, they are still the world champions and that we know they're a good team, but they're not playing very well. So... They, that's kind of how they they balanced out at seven, and then, but then to be fair to Brazil at three and a half doesn't feel like anywhere near interesting value compared to potentially now getting France at six and a half seven. Precisely that that's what I can't really explain because, yeah, these markets often have big odds because you have many teams that could in could win the tournament. It's not like a match result market where the odds are naturally lower. But still, I can see that uh, there is some kind of uh, reflection. You know, the reality that Brazil qualified very early, it, it affected the markets. Okay, they have five titles in this tournament. This is also reality. But I, personally, I, I still see France performing in, in um, a bit more solid way than Brazil, especially defensively. So uh, you you can't really uh, you know explain why these odds of France and Brazil are at least closer to each mm. other. So yeah, in my opinion, if you had France with the odds of Brazil and Brazil with the odds of France, that would make more sense to me right now. Interesting. Okay, cool. And then uh, we started recording literally at the final whistle of the of the Belgium game, and we weren't even sure if we were going to mention it because at the time I suggested that we might not. It was a very poor game. Um, but then uh, uh, Morocco went on to, to take it 2-0. So what can we take from that, Brandon, other than the fact that it's looking very difficult for Belgium to even get out of the group? Well, no, that's not fair because they won 1-0. But it's it's looking difficult for Belgium to go deep into this tournament, it's, it's fair to say. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I guess the, the one thing that we can take is for two games in a row now, Belgium have been relatively poor. And this time, while being poor, they were punished and lost as a result. Because in that first half in the Canada game, Canada absolutely dominated them. Yeah, and, and that's I why it feels like Belgium yeah. lost the first game, because they were so bad, 
it's still yeah. it's one of those games you still feel like they lost it even though they won one oh, yeah yeah and i i feel like going into the last game against croatia will definitely be interesting especially when we see what happens with croatia and canada today because if croatia are to win they would go above belgium onto four points a win for canada puts them on three so it, it'll definitely this group is the most i feel like the most interesting group in this tournament right now considering all the possible permutations that could happen um but i still think belgium you would argue are the will finish first or second in this group in advance but i just feel like the way that they have been playing if they don't pick it up and pick it up fast they could if they do get out of the group which could which is still a big if they could be knocked out in around the 16 and that and when you look at the players on this roster and their ages this is the this is essentially the last big tournament for the so-called golden generation mm. de bruyne has already said he might retire after this world cup internationally um you look at the likes of Eden Hazard, you look at the likes of Vertonghen and Outer Vireld, and all of these Dries Mertens, all of these golden generational talents, this is it for them. And if they don't perform in this game again, in this last game against Croatia, then this will be a team that was ranked number one by FIFA for the longest time that will have won nothing. Mm. I, I mean, how realistic is it that this Belgian team has got levels that they can now take it to or are we now actually seeing genuinely the belgium team at the level they are now at i mean of course we know de bruyne is a is an absolutely world-class talent and probably still the best premier league player um for his position most certainly but then around him is there actually that level of quality that that we're assuming that they've still got there because it, it just doesn't feel like it and it certainly doesn't look like it. No, it really doesn't feel like it. It'll be interesting to see if, because Lukaku came on for the last few minutes of this game, so it'll be mm. interesting to see if he's fit enough to start against Croatia because that would be a big difference. And Bashuai has been very good um, when he's played internationally for Belgium for the most part. So um, it's not... It's. I wouldn't say you would still say Lukaku's an upgrade over Batshuayi starting up top, but when you look around, other than if you put Lukaku in, Eden Hazard when he's in form is very good, but fitness is always a question for him. He hasn't played much for Real Madrid recently, so his form is a question mark. And you look at the defense, and you have Vertonghen and Outer Vireld, but once again they're aging. Thomas Mounier started today at right back. Um, and, and you just look and you're like, there's not a lot that stands out at you and says, yes, this team is going to find another level and they're going to blow Croatia away, get into the knockouts and make a run, a deep run. Mm. But anything's possible. So depending on what happens these next few days, there is every chance that Belgium come their last game against Croatia, play really well and make it out of the group and make a deep run. But I got to give credit to Morocco because yeah, in Morocco, in their first game, they drew against Croatia 0-0, which was a good result considering when you go when they go into that game, you would argue Croatia are the favorites, though once again, they are like Belgium with an aging squad, but still very talented players on that team. But Morocco came into this game 
Um, and they just, they didn't change anything really. They just played the way that they have always played. Granted, they've only played, this is, I think their fourth game under their new manager. Mm. And they showed up today. This, and the substitutes were the ones that made the difference. So we'll see what happens in regards to um, when they play Canada in the last game, if the subs that scored will start now, or if uh, Regragui will play with the normal lineup that he has, that he's put out there. But the Moroccan squad is very good. When you look at the names that they have with Masrawi, with Hakimi, with Ziyech, with Nasiri and Bufal, they are a very, very talented squad. And the other interesting thing was Bono, not was he was in the anthem, Mm. And then he was gone and nobody noticed it for like the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And Munir came strange, in man. goal. Yeah. Munir came in and goal and did well. No, Morocco feel like right now, the sort of team that's going to qualify for the round of 16, most nations are going to go. Yeah. We wouldn't mind it if we get Morocco rather mm. than getting one of the bigger name nations, but actually they're going to be a tough side. Um, they, they certainly feel to me at the moment, like the strongest of the African nations. Um, in in the tournament, so it will be interesting to see how how they progress um, because I, I do think they will they should go through from this position now. It would be a be a real shame for them if they don't if they don't uh, get out of the group having kept two clean sheets and and then taken this scalp today. For sure, I I, I agree. They all, all they'll need is likely a point in their last game. It, it could depend no on results. What happens with Croatia today? But they they're in a good position right now. Uh, we will say that good position to qualify. Definitely. And then, how is how is it looking on the betting markets for qualification from this group currently, Lucas? Well, the odds are just being recalculated after this game, so it's naturally a different scenario than most people anticipated in in terms of Belgium going far in this tournament. We had odds of nineteen to one for them to win the World Cup. And now just after the final whistle, these odds are 34 to 1. So, yeah, we can say it, it's reflecting how Belgium is now not that much of a golden generation stuff in the eyes of the market. And it's complicated for them, I guess. Everything you, you guys just said reflect how this group is, is pretty balanced in terms of talent. And even Morocco, which could be perceived eventually as kind of easy for by some great teams. It's it's not that easy, really, right? And what are Morocco currently coming in at? Because I mean, obviously, look, being realistic, Morocco aren't going to win the the tournament. But is it is a useful guide to see how the the market feels? They look in terms of against their their other African counterparts, but other teams of a similar standing. Yeah, well, if you see that in the first game we had Morocco Croatia, and the first part of the game was really poor in terms of performances. And now the same team from that game, Morocco, was able to win against Belgium. It, I believe the four teams of this group, you know, have showed some kind of quality at some point. And, well, even Morocco could maybe get out of this group. Most certainly, most certainly. Okay, cool. So then let's let's look ahead to tomorrow's uh, big match. Well, they're, I mean, they're all big matches really tomorrow, but in particular, I want to talk about uh, the Brazil-Switzerland game. Brazil, obviously, everyone got very excited by Brazil with their opening 2-0 opening win against, uh, against Serbia. But Switzerland, do they're one of those tournament teams that do have this nagging ability to 
to frustrate and go further than you would often think they're capable of doing so. So, Brandon, how do you feel that they can they can go about stopping Brazil and maybe calming down some of that hype around the Brazilian uh, title bid, a bit like a few other teams have had to had to suffer a second game surprise? Do you think Switzerland can do something here? I think they could, but I think it'll be tough. They're going to have to defend really well because that Brazilian attack is very good. I guess the best piece of news that the Swiss can gather is that Neymar will be out. He's not going to play in that game. At least that's what all the reports are saying, that he won't be risked. And they may have confirmed it themselves, Brazil. Um, But that's the biggest piece of good news that Switzerland has going into this game. But if you think, if you look at Brazil's lineup from the first game and you see that Neymar started as a 10 in almost a 4-2-3-1, there is so many options on the bench that they could replace him with. Mm. And it's it granted it's a drop in quality because of how good Neymar is, but still Anthony could come in. Gabriel Martinelli could come in. Gabriel Jesus could come in. They just have so much talent on the bench that I do think in the end, Brazil will win this game against Switzerland, but I think Switzerland could cause an upset and it's going to have to be, they're going to have to just defend really well, take away the space And what Brazil did in the first game against Serbia with the inverted fullbacks, it'll be interesting to see if they do do that again and what the Swiss have to try to counter that. Because I think going forward for Switzerland, I think what they have, what will give them a wild card possibly is if they can utilize Granit Xhaka in the way that Arsenal has this season with Mm. pushing him a bit further forward and getting him more involved in the attack, making him almost like another attacking midfielder in a way. But then at the same time, when you look at the attacking talent Brazil has, if you push Shaka all the way up the field, you're not really going to have much cover defensively if you're to lose possession in Brazil or to counter. So it's it's really going to be tough for Switzerland. They could pull off a result here, but it's just that Brazil squad is so deep and so talented that it's hard to bet against them. It, it just is. I mean, we, we're taking Switzerland getting a result as them coming away with a point from this game because I mean that yeah that they'd be more than happy with that at the final. Whistle. Oh yes, for sure, and it'll be interesting to see as well whether Murat Yakin switches formations at all. Maybe goes to a back five and tries to sit a bit deeper and play more defensive, or does he stick with a four-two-three-one like they played against Cameroon? It'll be interesting for sure, but um, I think. The goal for Switzerland should be play for the play for a point, and because, like you said, a point is a win against Brazil essentially, and it gives then Switzerland a pretty good chance going into their last game against Serbia, which once again would like will likely be a huge game if Serbia beat Cameroon, which is expected. Mm. So, um, it would give them the advantage going into that game. So, I think Switzerland should be looking to try to just play for a draw here, but. It'll be tough with that Brazil attacking talent. And actually, Serbia played a back three, I think it was, against Brazil, which shifted yeah. to a five defensively, and Brazil were able to exploit it in the end. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what Marat Yakin comes up with for Switzerland. But Brazil are the favorites to win this game, and I still do think they will win this game in the end. But the Swiss could could pull some shocks, but I, it won't, I don't think it'll be a blowout, I think. The Swiss will keep it close, and they could possibly, if there's a chance at the end of the game, and they're only a goal down, say they could uh, get a point out of this game. 
Interesting. And, all, and also, uh, Brazil are going to be without their starting right back, Danilo, who, uh, who yes. got, got injured in the first game. And it does, it, it will be interesting to see which road they go down because they've got Dani Alves in the squad, obviously, um, mm-hmm. who's, who's, uh, uh, who's still um, considered good enough to be in the squad. But it's going to be a, a big decision to start him, you would imagine, in this game. And then if you don't, uh, then you, you beg the question, yeah. why be taking him along anyway? But there was talk that Fabinho, the Liverpool's Fabinho, uh, could be playing mm-hmm. in that in that position as well, which is something he won't have done since his Monaco days, I believe. So um, there could be a, a... I mean, there's always some weakness that you can try and exploit on a game and seeing mm-hmm. it and doing it are two different things. But... Um, yeah. That could be a potential area of weakness for for, for the Swiss to, to target, possibly. Yeah, it could be. And there's also the possibility that with Danilo being out and you're losing a fullback, it, Cheech could also look at going to a back three, which could be interesting as well, because he has enough center backs to do it. You have Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, Militao, Bremer, who's done really well with Juventus this season. So the options are there if a back three is preferred. But um, Danny Alves is a possible starter, which would be fun to see Danny Alves starting at the World Cup again for Brazil, for sure. Definitely, definitely. Okay, cool. And then, Lucas, how, how's the uh, what's interesting in the betting market for this particular game? Well, Brazil is as much of a favorite as it was against Serbia, but you can say that there are very distinct things. Especially as the team is not as nervous as they were in the beginning of the World Cup, it might not really be something discussed in Europe. But there is a big pressure over here for a title. I mean, it's been too long, twenty years without a World Cup title. So over here, the the demand is just go there and win. There is no such thing as okay, runners up or third place is never good enough. And uh, there was some big shock over here with the the injury of Neymar and uh, Danilo. So there was a lot of media repercussion, but it didn't really affect much the markets. Uh, I would just go more into the sports side of that and say that uh, Neymar was uh, like the big name without any sub that could, you know, do what he does some years ago. But now with the big moment that Vinicius Jr. is living, there was even some debate before the World Cup whether he was the big name for Brazil in this cup and not Neymar. However, in the right back, there was a big controversy in terms of even, you know, including Danny Alves in the squad. So it, it could be a factor to the team to use him because most people over here didn't really like that he's even travel to Qatar so that if there is a weakness this could be the weak link in terms of you know confidence in this team I don't really anticipate you know uh, Brazil using three defenders because that hasn't happened in last times but yeah you can say that uh, the second game of Brazil has similar odds comparing with with the first game but in this game I guess they have more confidence after the first one and uh, you can say they're pretty likely to win. Okay, okay, good stuff. And then if it, if you were to say where the real value then is in the in this game for a for a, a high a, a higher probability bet that's got some good value for people, which one would you go for? 
I would say wait a little and you know watch the first minutes of the game. If Brazil doesn't score early like Argentina did yesterday, you could buy them with with some pretty decent odds. France was a case in which you could buy them a, a few minutes before the goal with like thirty percent better odds than really? okay. before the kickoff. And that's a situation in which the odds are a little low, one point fifty two on average to the victory of Brazil right now. And if you can buy them like with 30 or 50 minutes, you know, after the kickoff, maybe there is some interesting value. Okay, cool. Good stuff. And then Brandon, back to the uh, back to the other games that are happening uh, tomorrow morning. So we've got Cameroon, Serbia and, and South Korea, Ghana, although they don't feel like glamorous World Cup matches. They're, they're actually, all, both of them are very important to the potential outcomes of each group. What do you think might be happening tactically in, in those two games? Uh, yeah, you're right. Both of them are very important, both in the Serbia Cameroon to start with. Both teams need three points to essentially have, I wouldn't say any chance of getting out of the group because if Brazil were to beat Switzerland, then if Serbia and Cameroon draw, then Serbia going to have final game against Switzerland knowing a win would put them through, or Cameroon even, possibly. But that's going to be tough for them against Brazil. But I think with Serbia, in regards to how they might set up tactically, against Brazil, they had Mitrovic up top by himself in a 3-4-2-1. It'll be interesting to see if Dragon Stojkovic maybe puts Vlahovic up top with Mitrovic and plays two. Um, but other than that, I think the way Serbia played against Brazil with the almost man-to-man marking, pressing high, it worked. And then the intensity just dropped. And it was just, it was even Stojkovic himself said that he was struggling to understand the strange drop in intensity. Because they, Serbia in that first half against Brazil were playing, I would say, decently well. And they were defending well against them. They were pressing them high. They were winning balls back in midfield so i think that going into this game against cameroon serbia need to go back to um they need to go back to i wouldn't say the basics but what the, if they can just stick with what they're doing right now and i think they'll get a result against cameroon i, I do think they will beat cameroon because when you look at the cameroon squad it's it's relatively talented when you look at Chupo Moting, who has had a really good season for Bayern Munich. Uh, Brian Mbermo plays for Cameroon now. After switching his nationalities, the Brentford winger. And uh, Carl Toko Akambi on the left. Zambo Anguisa, one of the best Serie A midfielders this mm. season. So Cameroon um, and Serbia will... This won't be any means. I don't feel a Serbia are going to just roll right over Cameroon. It'll be easy win that's it but i do think serbia are favorites going into this game and from a tactical perspective i just think they should do exactly what they did against brazil maybe go to two strikers up top um it'd be interesting to see if philip kostic plays in this game because i think he was injured uh in their for the first game I'm, I'm pretty sure he was injured and couldn't start and he could be a difference maker for serbia especially if you play him as a left wing back left midfielder going down the wing crossing into the box the work rate that he has going down that side um so i feel like in that game it'll be definitely interesting to watch tactically 
Um, other than I, I, it's, I, I know it's a funny thing, but I'm, I saw, um, I forget what the stat was, but all of the early, early kickoffs so far in the World Cup, a lot of them have not been the greatest. So we'll see if this changes it. Um, and in regards to South Korea, Ghana, as you were saying as well, it's another important game in the group where Ghana almost getting a result against Portugal at the very end, the issue, the, uh, the lapsing concentration of Diogo Costa almost gave Ghana the equalizer. But I think going into this game, if you're South Korea, you have to feel confident after getting a draw against Uruguay, who you would argue is the second best team in this group behind Portugal. So going into this game, South Korea have all the confidence. Hyungmin Son didn't have his greatest game against um, against Uruguay. It, you could argue that the mask was a problem, uh, having to play with the mask, not having the best peripheral vision, tougher to play with that on. But if he can show up for South Korea and have a really good performance, then you'd have to favor South Korea in this matchup. But Ghana have talent of their own with Inaki Williams up top. You have um, you have Mohamed Kudus in midfield, who has played really well for Club Bruges, um, which it, it could be interesting, too, if Otto Addo decides to switch tactically, because under Alfred Schroeder at Ajax this season, Kudus has been playing more as a, a forward. So it'd be interesting to see if they maybe go to a 4-4-2 and maybe put Kudus up top with Anaki Williams. But... All in all, I think both of these games from a tactical perspective will be fun to watch. And there's a lot on the line for both for all four teams. None of these teams are officially eliminated, of course. So and all of them have everything to play for. A win for some of these teams would put them right into contention uh, to get out of the group. A draw still gives them a chance. So I think when you look at these games on paper, I would say Serbia should beat Cameroon. And I could see actually another draw from South Korea, Ghana, but a draw just wouldn't be enough. So one team will likely have to do to just play really well and win. And I think that will be South Korea in the end. Yeah, interesting. Over the four teams, I think the only looking at it, the only team that would really walk away from the game happy with a point uh, would be Serbia, um, knowing that they're going into into their last uh, into the game they're going into into their last game. As opposed to Cameron need, need need a win. South Korea and Ghana mm-hmm. probably have both circled this game as the must win in the group for them. So yeah, we'll be interested to see how uh, how tomorrow morning's uh, or tomorrow morning and early afternoon games do do play out. Great stuff. Well, look, that's uh, that's everything from us today on the Total Football Analysis Daily podcast. Uh, I've been joined by Brandon Liss, our Belgian football expert, and our betting expert, Lucas Mondeo. As we said at the start of today's podcast, if you are thinking of placing a bet on anything to do with the World Cup, be gamble aware. Don't bet anything more than you're prepared to lose. And this is only advice that we're giving you. We're certainly not saying 100% go and do anything like that. Uh, Brandon, thank you very much for your time today. No problem. It was great, great being able to join. And Lucas, as ever, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Chris Bixon. Good stuff, guys. We'll be back. Well, I won't be back tomorrow. You might hear from me again next weekend. Adam will be back in the hot seat tomorrow and we'll be back with the the TFA Daily then. Thank you very much.